Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Today what I want to talk about is the power of prayer. I, I was very fortunate and privileged to grow up around parents who prayed whether they understood if it made sense or not. I had the honor of hearing my mom scream and talk on the top of her lungs and sweat and dance, and I kept wondering, like, what, where's the music coming from? And she's in the living room, just almost like she's, she's in her own world. And I never understood it at all. And, and some of the things that she was praising God about was me and my siblings and my spouse. I'm, I'm 10 years old, by the way. <laughs> and she's praising God for all of these things. I never had one moment of her pray a prayer like, God, please. God, if you love me. It was almost like, God, I thank you. Like the, the most common word I could hear that she could say was thank you. And the rest I didn't understand. Because most times she was praying in tongues. But it would always wrap up with, thank you, Jesus, and it just goes on. Thank you, Jesus, and then just goes on. So, um, and I remember throughout all those times, there was never a moment that she even stopped. It was every single day. And then I remember growing up and, and going to school. I went to a boarding school. Prayer wasn't emphasized. It was a Christian school. It was 15 minutes in the morning. If you cared enough, chapel was open. You, you really did not feel the need to. And then earlier in my adult life, prayer became as good as cookbooks. You know, you have them all stacked up in your kitchen. And you remember when you wanted to make that special dish. Yeah, you want to pull it like, oh, I have that cookbook. It's in the middle. But every time there's a new cookbook, you're the first one to get it. And... And here's one thing that I learned through that time, that if you don't know the purpose of something, abuse is inevitable. Because there are things that are wired in deep within. Now, I want to use an, an illustration on this. I remember as a child, I would sit in my dad's car and sit on the steering wheel. He's outside doing some work or changing oil in the car, and I'm sitting on the driver's seat, and I'm going, I'm making the right sound the car makes. I'm turning the steering wheel that my dad turns, but he's not concerned at all that the car is going to go anywhere. Am I talking to somebody's prayer life? You haven't left the station you're in, but man, you're making the right sound. Maybe even going to the right church, you listen to the right gospel. But man, it's just you're like, David, I see it working for everybody else, but why not me? I, I, I just brought these things back to my memory. I remember just, why wasn't my dad ever concerned that the car would leave the, the car station? He's like, the wrong sound is coming from the wrong side of the car. If he ever felt that engine start, Oh, it would have been a different story now. <laughs> Get off of that driver's wheel. Get out of the car now. But he was never concerned. As long as the noise that he was hearing was coming from my mouth. 
And maybe you could think about this a little bit more. If prayer was central to the ministry of Jesus, why are prayer meetings the least attended gatherings in the body today? Numerically, the size of a ministry is often never matches the size of its prayer meetings. You can go to a church of 10,000 people. You know how you want to test it out? Go to the Monday night prayer meeting. You want to make matters more interesting? Go to a Tuesday night meeting. Make it more interesting. Go to an early morning Tuesday. Why? Here's what I really believe, that when you discover the purpose of something, you discover its original intent. When you discover the purpose, you discover the source of its power. Here's what I mean. Now that I'm older, I know when I sit on the driver's side of the car, I don't have to make any sound. I have keys. I put them in the ignition. Or right now we get more a little bit fancy. I have a remote control. I can start the car when I'm still in the office. But there's some things I've learned. I need gas. There's some distances I can't drive without a plan. There's some things I have to, why? Because now something has become of a sudden purpose to my life. Therefore, I've discovered that for it to achieve the purpose I'm trying to achieve, there are some things I have to continuously do to maintain the car's health and the servicing of the car. And here's what I want to ask you and challenge you with. If Jesus prayed while he was here. Jesus is praying in heaven. Hebrews calls him our ever-living intercessor. The book of Romans calls the Holy Spirit, he makes groanings that we can't even utter, meaning prayer is happening in the spiritual realm constantly. Have you ever wondered why it's important that Jesus' ministry of prayer continues beyond his physical life? That's good. That's good. That he's praying for you and I. Yet he's present with God. And the Holy Spirit is making intercession with groanings that you and I can't even utter constantly. How about you and I? I'll show you some scriptures here. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought to, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which we can't even utter. Here's a phrase I want you to to underline. (laughs) For we do not know what we should pray for what we ought or how we should pray most of the time. And now he who searches the hearts and knows what kind of spirit is because he makes intercession for sins according to the will of God. Here's another verse, Hebrews 7.25. Therefore he is able 
to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is Jesus. So we've already settled this, that heaven is praying for you. The king is praying for you. The Holy Spirit is praying for you. My challenge to you today is that when you live here, prayer takes a place in your life that's greater than what it is now. That you discover a purpose that prayer has because, you know, sometimes we've, we've thought intercession is for the few. Some people say intercession is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I may be pushing an envelope there. Sorry if I'm messing with your religion. I think we're all called to be intercessors. Why? Because heaven is constantly praying. In the spirit room, there's constant prayer. First Thessalonians, Paul tells the church there, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, man ought to reflect what's already happening on his behalf in the spirit realm, in the physical realm. Proverbs 25.2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search it out. And here is my simple definition of prayer. If you want to understand the heart of God, you have to pray. If there's something that you should be hungry for to the point is understanding the ways and the mind of God. Why do I say that? We've, we get so accustomed to the hand of God. David, we're saved by grace. Glory to God. Our divine graces. Amen. You made it to the road to the heart of God. Now walk in the grace. Because what does grace say? Come boldly to the throne that you may obtain mercy. In other words, where is he inviting you to? To his heart. He's inviting you to learn his ways. So I'm talking about this because I don't want you to understand it as prayer is something I got to do to earn something. No. It opens your eyes to what has been made available to you. Paul prays in, in, in Ephesians that the eyes of my understanding may be open, that I may have spiritual wisdom to know the depth, the height, the breadth of the love of God. And to me, I think it's prayer at another deeper level. Prayer, it's a hunger to fellowship and know the heart of God. It's a desire to go back to the initial place that God created you to be in. Why? Because it's a channel for him to fulfill what he wants to do in the earth. It's a channel for him to show us exactly what he has on his mind. Why? Prayer will draw you to places of intimacy with God that you've never been. Prayer will draw you to places of relationship with God than you've ever been. Prayer will cause you to abandon Food, TV. Because while you don't have enough time to have it all, 
So you begin to choose, God, I'm going to give my morning time. I'm going to give my noon time. I'm going to give my evening time, even if it's during your favorite game. Because when you're pursuing the heart of God, then he's made himself available. His pursuit is only limited by your inability to pursue him. I'm going somewhere with this. Matthew 6, 5 says, And when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites. Every time Jesus was, was, was talking about prayer, he used when, not if. This is what I think that implies. You are going to pray. You have no choice. And it's not up to you. If you won't pray out of hunger for his heart, oh, you're going to pray for the hand. You're going to pray, God, heal me. God, my finances fell apart. God, you want him to come and touch the things that he could have already touched if you sought his heart out. Because that's how his mind operates. He goes ahead of you. And gives you the faith that you need. He tells Peter at some point, Peter, the enemy is going to come and shake you up. He's going to sift you like wit. But I'm praying for you that your faith will not fail. That's a relationship. You know, the major question that arises most of the time in prayer is, if God is sovereign and so supreme and has ultimate power, why pray? Is prayer making God respond to my need in some way? And here, I have three answers for you, and I'm going to give them right up because I'm going to take more time talking about anything else. And if I don't get to each one of them to explain to them, at least you will, you will have them. God is a sovereign as his word. The moment he speaks his word, he can't violate it. God is limited by his word. The third thing I will say is, I already said it, God will never violate his word. Miles Monroe puts it this way, God is sovereign until he speaks. His sovereignty is limited by his word. And Pastor Daniel said this this morning, Miles Monroe defines prayer as God's license to interfere in the earth. Go to Luke 11, chapter 1, verses 2. And now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. When he seized, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples. In the Jewish culture, they start praying at a very early age. They get up very early in the, in the morning. So by the time these are grown men who have been fishing before, they've run businesses, they understand prayer. Let me ask you this question. 
what did they see about Jesus' prayer life that caused them to rethink if they knew how to pray? And maybe you can ask that to yourself. What about my prayer life? Look at the person next to you and tell them, what about my prayer life causes you to want to ask me? Why? Because there are some things that if we don't allow them to be dishonest. I remember I was going through something not too many weeks ago, and I got home, I told my wife, I don't know how to pray about this one. And she says, have you told God about not knowing what to pray about? I said, wait a minute, is that a prayer too? Because there is moments when you're going to see something that is meant to inspire you and revitalize your prayer life. If you don't catch on it, if you don't discern it fast enough, what's coming ahead of you is going to push you in that very same place. What they see Jesus doing, they needed to land because in the book of Acts, it was going to be asked of them. Where have you been with God? that I want to go with you? What have you known about God in your fellowship with him that when I see you, I desire it? This is something that makes evangelism easy. I know in the Western world, evangelism is hard. One of the qualifications to be pastor at my parents' ministry was six months of evangelism through the villages. You had to walk because some of these villages' cars did not go. If you ride a bike, it's hills everywhere, these narrow little trenches. And you have to go in these people's homes and be able to speak the word of God in a, and communicate it where they can understand it. And so they can respond. That means if there is a need in that home and you arrive with your big Bible, they're expecting my need is going to be met today. I saw a man holding the word of God, and he said it was the word of God, and it's supposed to meet all my needs. So when they see you immediately, their faith, their own, the faith for what they need is pre-elevated. If you haven't been in a place of prayer with God and have encountered God, may you've been set up. Why? Because you encounter situations you've never seen. Things that have no names. People that are looking for, man, I, I can sense you know God, but I can also sense you haven't experienced them at all. I don't want to be like them. And here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what the disciples are really saying. In other words, they were observing Jesus over a length of time, and they saw that how he prayed by himself was different. Jesus often departed from ministry to go pray. Jesus spent time in prayer before the issues of the day every day and stopped often to pray any time. Josephus says, cumulatively, if you add up Jesus' prayer time in a day versus how he dealt with issues, his prayer time was more than his ministry time. Here's what, how this hit me deep. I'm sharing things that have been ministering to me through this pray first time. I started asking myself, God, 
in 24 hours, I deal with so many things. And when I examine my prayer time with you, it's maybe the first hour of the day. When I read the Gospels, I see Jesus reaching the blind man and saying, what do you want? You want to see? See, issue fixed, next. When I get into a situation, I need some music, I need some anointing oil, I need some prayer, oh God, help me in the name of Jesus. Do you realize that there was never a single moment where Jesus stopped to cast out a devil? When the devil saw him, they knew who he had been with. They knew who he had had fellowship with. I don't even think to me in, in, in my David understanding, I don't even think sickness is waiting for him to speak. He, get, he gets to a place where Lazarus is dead and everybody's like, come oh, in, you're late to the function. Even the food is finished. Mary and Martha are trying to cook up some extra meals for people. And, and there's just lostness. And you know, what he, you know what he said as a prayer? He didn't pray for, for Lazarus. He prayed for the people who were present. He said, Father, that they may see your glory. Let me ask you. I struggle. Have you been with God that much that instead of praying for the issue, you're praying for the people around the issue? Because of the confidence that you have in Christ Jesus, that when you show up in a situation, God has showed up. That whatever you're going to speak, God has spoken. Where did Jesus get this ability and time of prayer or understanding prayer? The disciples noticed a difference between Jesus and their own ministry. Remember in, a chapter, in chapter 10 before this, they've gone out. And cast out devils, healed the sick. They came back excited, telling Jesus, man, we did it. We got it down. Even the demons were listening to us. And the next chapter, they're like, hmm, the way you pray and the way we pray, something right. Here's what I'm saying. You can cast out devils. You can heal the sick. But I bet you, you may not know the heart of God just as much. And the disciples come to this place of honesty and they realize the priority of Jesus' ministry wasn't people. It was the heart of the Father. Because there's no situation that caused him to panic. He's in the boat and the winds are blowing. And the water is filling up this boat. And the guy is falling asleep. You tell me. If this is not a relationship thing, this is not where I'm going to die. It's okay. I'll take a nap. He's not praying for the winds to stop. Do you know why he stops the wind? Because the people in the same boat think if you don't do something, we're going to die. I hope I'm talking to just one person in this room. 
or maybe two. Because this, this is what God is bubbling deep within me. David is like, why, why have you made your prayer limited to issues? I have packaged this to make myself available to you. Ian Bound says this, time in prayer isn't time wasted, it's time invested. Mark 9.19 says, he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. This is a story when Jesus is coming from the mountain of transfiguration. He's just met Moses and Elijah, and he's had this heavenly encounter, and some of the disciples the few, the three of them, Peter, James, and John, had heard the voice from heaven saying, this is he, listen to him. And, and Peter wants to build two shrines, uh, three shrines up there so they could just live up there and just say, no, 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 this is not the place to live. Let's go down, down the valley. And what had happened in the valley? This man had brought a, a, a child with, with the palsy. I hope I'm saying that right, with the palsy. So, uh, it would catch him. He would fall in the fire. He would throw himself around. And, and then he tells Jesus that your disciples have tried to cast this demon out. But he won't go. And Jesus says, bring him to me. Do you know he did not speak to the demon? <laughs> when you get home, read these moments where Jesus is ministering to people. It's when he shows up in the environment, God has showed up. And he said, the same spirit that dwelt in Christ is alive in you. The same mind that was in Christ is in you. Which means when you show up in a situation, it's, you're not alone. All of heaven is limited by how you see the situation. And that's why you see an atheist would never understand when he says, how can he be a good God and yet there's evil in the world? Jesus says, how long have I been with you? What is he really meaning here? Hey guys, you've seen me. You've observed my life. He's implying, how else will you Prepare for ministry without consistently seeking the heart of the Father. You just saw me on the top of the mountain having an encounter with the Father. I come down in the valley and I don't have to say a word. And you know, the most amazing part is, remember the disciples, don't, they don't ask him on the scene. They wait till dinner in the evening. Now, Jesus, in the valley over there, when we couldn't do it, and you came up, and you did it, what was missing? Do you know what his answer was? Some of this go by, by prayer and fasting. I think to me what he was describing, even though some Bibles don't have that verse added in, is, guys, we just came from the mountaintop. We experienced heaven. 
touching earth. And we come down in the valley, in the valley, and we experience an enemy touching the child of God. These missions don't align. One kingdom is going to win. In other words, when you show up, there's a kingdom behind you. There's kingdom authority with you. And I want to and I want to go back to this. Why does Jesus have such commitment to prayer? Why? Remember, I said, God is as sovereign as his word. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. I want to begin with that line. So what is God trying? Let me not say trying because he didn't try. He did it. What is God doing in this first line? I have an idea. I want to make a physical body in the physical realm but has my character and my identity. So before he says, and let them have dominion, his first priority thing is likeness. Same character. I want them to be like me. And then he says, let them have dominion over the fish of the air. You could go on down. But I want you to underline that word, let them. And I want to go back and explain something here. So the word human comes from the word humus, which means dirt, earth, flesh. Being denotes something of pre-existence. It's been there, it will be, it was, it is. So what God is doing here, he's saying, I need, a, I need dirt and my spirit in it to rule over the earth. When he says, let them, he has taken all of his mighty ability and said, unless you allow me to operate in the earth, my hands are tied. He just, and this is, he's creating them saying, The human being is an integration of both the physical and the spiritual. The only creature with legal authority in the earth. A spirit man is what I would call him. A a man with a body. God limited himself in two words. Let them. I'm pausing because I want you to, th- to, th- to, to think about it a little bit more. Think about what you have backing you up. I'll use, I'll use a good example because I come from colonialism. So when, when the king of England sends a, a governor to Australia, the governor in Australia is no longer just governor to the Australians. He is 
the king. He determines how Australia is going to look like, what laws they're going to follow. He determines to that even if it meant that the queen or the king of England flew over to Australia. But do you know the resource of everything of this Australian governor? Where does it come from? The king of England. So he's fully backed in resource, fully weighted by identity, that when he speaks, the king of England has spoken, but he's in his own territory. You see, the Bible calls you king for a reason. A king and another king cannot dwell in the same territory. Why? If you're, even if you're in the family, or even if you're in the royal family, you'll be prince, princess, but you won't be king in the same territory that your dad is king. So what I'm sensing here, the idea of God is, I want to create another territory. Why? Because in that territory, you can be king, and I can stay king. Do you get what I'm talking about here? So he said, I'm going to make the earth and let them. I have all the resources they need. I have everything they need. All they need is to push a button and I'll be present in my insufficiency to meet the need of their nation, to meet the need of their house. But they have to allow me. If there was a a definition of prayer, I don't know which other one to explain it. Therefore, For God to do something in the earth, he needs a body. Not because he's not mighty and man is is feeble, but because he wants to be faithful to his word. Therefore, if anything is going to happen on the earth, it has to be done by a man full of the spirit of God. Can I say something dangerous? Prayer was created when God limited himself by his word. God could not intervene in the garden. Do you realize that even an evil spirit needs a body to mess with your life? I may lose some of you here. There is no spirit that can function in the manifest without a body, or else the devil would not have needed a serpent. I'll save that one for part two. (laughs) But here's what I'm trying to say to you. What you've thought had authority over you, you actually have authority over. Why? Because you are the only God-man that exists in all of creation. You're the only person who has the spirit of God in you and you're enclosed in a piece of clay and whatever comes out of your mouth after you know the heart of God is meant to be part of your life. In Psalm 133, 138, it says, I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness 
and your truth, for you have magnified your word above your name. In Hebrew, your name is who you are. Or who you are is your name. If, if I come from a family that makes drink, they'll call me brewer. If I come from a house that makes lights, they'll call me lighting. I'm just throwing out examples here. So what God is saying is his word is his name, and his name is his word. Watch this verse. Amos 3.7. Surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret to the servants, to his servants, the prophets. Is he still all powerful? Can he do it without revealing it to his prophets? Is he, why can he do this? He gave his word, and he is faithful to his word. I challenge you. If there's a story in all of the Bible that you don't see God having to contact man to do something in the earth. Pastor Daniel preached on this this morning. Every story you touch, you can go start with Noah. And Noah found grace with God. And what did God do? God came and told him, Noah, I need need to get some salvation message across. And I need you. But God, you're all powerful. Why don't you just do it all by yourself? No, it's not how Noah responds. Noah responds with, so you say, sir, Abraham, leave your kindred. I'll go to a land that I will show you. I'll make, I'll make a nation out of you. I'll bless you. And, 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 those that are, uh, and your seed shall be called blessed. Is this necessary? I thought you were an all-powerful God. You could just bless. Let me take you to a, a quicker story. It's about the season we've just been enjoying, the Christmas time. God sends a message to a young girl in Bethlehem. It says, I have a message for you. You're going to be pregnant. You're going to give a birth. You're going to give birth to Elohim. My translation is you're going to give birth to a man God. And he's going to say, what you're going to carry in your womb is going to bring redemption, not just to you, but to an entire nation. God is looking for somebody that has flesh and blood in them. God is looking for a body to indwell. That's why I said what I said earlier. There's no force of the air or force of the enemy that's outside that can hurt you. Mm-mm. Because the enemy seeks, and it says he like a ro- he's like a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. <laughs> so his, his mission 
is just the exact opposite. Why? Because he knows if you don't speak, God won't intervene. If you do not involve God through your mouth, God won't come. And the devil knows that secret. And God is like, I've given you my word. I'm looking for it. I'm looking to perform it. You speak it, I perform it. You speak it, I won't let it fall to the ground. You, you speak it, I'm, I'm conditioned to respond. You seek me, you'll find me. You draw closer to me, I'll draw closer to you. You run to me, I'll run to you. We have a wealth of God's provision available for us. Prayer isn't an option. It's a necessity. God needs you to pray so he can intervene in the earth. Psalm 7, 8, 41 says, Yes, again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. I'm going to close with this. When man stops praying, Man will wonder why God is silent, and yet his word is out loud. When you and I stop praying, we're saying, God, you can't work in this situation. But the more we desire God to be in our situation, the more we desire to open our mouth about what he says in his word about our situation. I've been elevated with Christ. I'm seated in in high places, far above kingdoms, principalities, dominions, powers. Christ is the head of my household. I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me. You know, Paul Paul is talking about all of these things in the midst of what he's going through. And And you wonder if there was a single moment where he stops and he says, let's get real for a moment. Every time he describes reality, he's describing revelation. It's the writer and the other people describing where Paul was that tell you where he was. Paul never says, I'm in prison. Or if he says that line, he says, I'm content. Because here where I am is ministry enough. Where he says, you know what? In my body, I bear the marks of the gospel. There's something, I know I'm over time. Woo, seven minutes. Is is somebody getting blessed? I didn't look at the clock for a a moment there. I'll save the rest for part two. If you don't mind, get up on your feet. I want to challenge you to pray. I want you to, to join your hands. If you're here, if you're here, and maybe you're, You've thought everything that I'm just saying. David, I didn't, I didn't know that. You're just like me. But now that I know, I desire to walk in that place that Christ has called me to. I desire to have a hunger of the place of prayer. Yes. 
not just to receive what I want, but a hunger to know that when I'm walking because of the prayer life that I have, God is walking into situations with me. And maybe you're also here and you're saying, David, I didn't even know any of that existed, but I need to receive Christ in my heart. If you don't mind, join your hands to the person either side of you. We're post-COVID, you'll be fine. You will be fine. And repeat after me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you sent your son to die for me. He suffered on the cross for me. And yet he rose again from the dead. And this life that I have is because of his sacrifice. And it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. I am consumed by my Father. I am my Father's child. I walk in the authority of Jesus Christ. I am like my Father. I walk in the ability of my Father. I have authority in the earth. And I am saved. No weapon forged against me shall prosper. And every tongue that elevates itself has been condemned. Because I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org. Follow us on social media or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you again soon.